Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. As far as I know, his his bracket is still intact at this point. Bill, <laughs> how are you doing? I, I know you like the March Madness a little bit. so I do. I mean, you know, most, uh, most of us uh, in North Carolina uh, certainly uh, ha- have uh, our teams and uh, you know we don't have quite as many teams in the NCAA this this year, uh, at least from our uh, local teams. Although there are there are a number, so it, it's the kind of thing where we're still in pretty good shape, uh, and so we'll just uh, keep on keeping on. Uh, of course, uh, for those folks in Raleigh who are big NC State fans, of course that's a disappointment for uh, a lot of us. But you know, NC State had a had a reasonably good season when you think about all the injuries they had and the fact that they really had uh, didn't have uh, a lot of depth this past year and hopefully next year that will be cured and that that they will have a better season uh, but I, you you can't uh, you can't blame the coach at least not in my book when uh, you, you don't have enough players to put out on the on, on the floor due to injuries and and the like. So, uh, and of course, uh, you know, at least for for me, the the tournaments were, you, you know, the ACC versus the Atlantic Ten and and MEAC and the others, for the most part, was a disappointment. You know, to the degree that that. Uh, you know, I was at least, you know, even though there are a lot of anti-Duke fans here, I was, I'm an ACC fan, so I was actually rooting for Duke to win the ACC tournament, which they didn't. Uh, and, of course, my alma mater, Davidson, was number one in the Atlantic 10, and guess what? They lost in the championship of their tournament, but at least they're in the NCAA. And so, I mean, actually, in almost every case for the conference championship, tournament championships, uh, my team lost. (laughs) So, it's okay. Uh, You know, it's uh, just the way the ball bounces, if you will. But it it should be a lot of fun watching for the next few weeks uh, for the – to see who can make it all the way to the the NCAA finals. Uh, But – this morning, uh, I, I wanted to um, talk about uh, the, probably the most uh, famous of answers that lawyers tend to give people. And, and I think sometimes it's frustrating, uh, but, it, it, but it's accurate. Uh, and I, I know I've shared it with you uh, before we went on air, so I'll just spit it out. You know, truthfully, the most common answers or the the most common answer that attorneys should give if they don't is it depends. And the fact is that um, most things um, in planning, and and you think about business planning, but I'm talking about estate planning for families, is the fact that we're not alike. We're unique humans. Uh, we have uh, we have a lot of similarities in terms of goals, uh, but the fact is is that um, oftentimes answers that we want to be simple 
Sometimes they are simple and sometimes they're not because more often than not, uh, good answers truly depend on two things, the facts <laughs> and your goals. And uh, the, both uh, can be very, very different with every family. You know, for, for uh, many, many families, their most important asset is their home or their farm or their land. Real estate's real important to us. It just gets, gets us right in the heart from, from most of us. Uh, but now, unlike 30, 40 years ago, oftentimes the largest uh, resource asset that we have is what? What do you think? I'll say the retirement account. No question about it. There are lots of folks who have a retirement account that two or three or four or five times larger than the value of their home. And uh, quite frankly, retirement accounts are different kinds of planning opportunities. Uh, and of course, sometimes because of the differences in values, of course, most retirement plans are taxable as ordinary income when you take it out, and they're very different. And that, that can skew the answers to what you're trying to do. Uh, you know, there are a lot of folks who question, do I need a trust? Should I have a revocable trust? Or do I, you know, is a simple will what I should have? And quite frankly, again, what? It depends. Uh, and it depends on a lot of different things. Sometimes it's all about how much property you have. Because if, if you have just a modest amount of property, sometimes a will is just as good or better than a trust. Um, on the other hand, if you have a whole lot of property and you want to control what happens to it upon your death in terms of you want to see it be helpful to your spouse uh, and then go to your children and then your grandchildren, a trust is the way to go uh, for more people than not. If You know, it's the kind of thing where if you have children, and I hope you do, but if you have children who um, you're worried about their marriage or you're worried about their ability to to invest well or to you know they may have um, a propensity to spend and not to save when they need to be saving um, if you I mean there's um, of course some folks have the, the fact that they have a special needs child or grandchild that needs uh, a special type of plan for them uh, and then sometimes we have children who uh, have addiction problems, it might be gambling, it might be alcohol, it might be drugs. Um, sometimes our children turn their backs on us and walk away. That, you know, we call that estrangement. You know, there are just so many different things uh, that uh, account for why the best answer is depend. So it really comes down to having a, a an experienced advisor, hopefully lawyer, um, who can explain the differences and what might be in your best interest based on the facts you bring to the table, the relationships you bring to the table, 
uh, and um, your goals in terms of what you want to accomplish with your planning. And it, you, you know, <laughs> you know, you also have to remember, and one of the things that is so important to me is control and flexibility. And so uh, the fact is, is that um, so oftentimes circumstances change over our lifetime. You know, if we think back 10 years ago or 15 years ago, things might have been very different for us in terms of our relationships or our financial wherewithal. For some of us, we have more resources, and for some of us, we have fewer resources. <laughs> so. The fact is, and we lose our loved ones, you know, I, it, it's kind of thing where um, life goes on, but part of life is death, and uh, sometimes those, there are folks that we love and count on that we lose. And, and so the, the point is, is that plans need to be flexible uh, and changeable, uh, and, and so the, the, the point is, is that how to get where you want to go, it depends on a lot of different things. Um, and of course, the other thing is, is that you want to plan that you can change up the road as your tr circumstances change. And that's, that's so important. And, and I'll tell you a secret here. Even an irrevocable trust that you've created for asset protection purposes or if you, you've created it uh, for other purposes for your family or for yourself even, you oftentimes can change certain things inside that trust. And um, that can be real important to us. Uh, flexibility matters to everyone. So anyway, uh, from my perspective, I, I don't want to discourage people with the fact that it depends is not an answer. <laughs> it's a beginning in terms of, of finding out enough about you and your goals and your circumstances and your relationships so that you can get the best advice possible. And of course, uh, like I said, it depends is the beginning of the conversation, not the end. At the end, a good advisor should be able to say, okay, here, here are your circumstances, here are your options, here's some pros and cons for each option. And as your advisor, I think this particular path is the best path for you to go down. Now, of course, people have uh, different answers. They may say, well, you know, I don't want to go on that path. I want to go on this other path. And that's fine, too. Then, then it's a matter of what's the best way to go down that alternative path. And, you know, a good advisor can take you down that path. It's almost like a, a menu of options that's being laid out, and there may be some suggestions along the way, but ultimately it's up to you, and it all depends on your situation. That's why it's an important to have an advisor who's experienced and who can help steer you in those right directions. So if you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, you can go online to wgalaw.com, wgalaw.com. 
Dot-com is Bill's website. From there, you can very easily book an appointment to see him. You can also find information about Bill's free webinars. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. Bill has two free webinars that he puts on every month. The next one is happening on Wednesday, April 13th. If you would like to learn more about the subjects of long-term care assistance, assistance that may be available to you, whether it's through Medicaid or VA benefits. This is a wonderful free opportunity for you to learn more from Bill. Go to WGALaw.com and click on that seminars button. Bill also has an afternoon webinar happening on April 13th, and that deals with asset protection and trust planning. Again, go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button to learn more. It's free to register. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can learn more about him by going online to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, I think we're going to be broaching a new subject now. And all, all married folks tend to be familiar with a certain type of account, the joint account. Well, actually, I think what I'm going to talk about, it still goes along the line of it depends because everything you do, you can do an alternative way. And sometimes, depending on what your goals are, one way is far better than another. And quite frankly, often it's very, very common for seniors particularly to set up bank accounts and sometimes investment accounts uh, so that one of their children uh, can act on their behalf. And so it's very, very common for a widow, widower, to go to the bank with one of their children and have the child sign on the account. And more often than not, the bankers and sometimes financial advisors set up these accounts uh, as joint ownership account. In other words, a joint account with rights of survivorship. Now, is there an alternative to, to skin that cat? Yes, of course it is. In other words, you can create a general durable power of attorney naming that same child as your agent, and then go to the bank and have the account set up as your account, but with your child acting as your agent to have access and be able to um, invest the money and or spend the money on your behalf, pay your bills and the like. And the fact is, is at least in my experience, more often than not, when seniors go to the bank and put their child on the account, 
they're doing it for convenience purposes. In other words, I want my child to be able to look over my account each month, pay my bills, make sure that things are handled properly, and make sure I don't get taken advantage of. Well, you know, the fact is, and and more often than not, you know what I hear from the seniors? Oh, she will do the right thing. Well, what does that mean? Okay. (laughs) In other words, she will share this account with her brothers when I die. Well, the fact is, when you have a joint account with right of survivorship, legally, the account will belong to the child that you've set up the account with. Well, is that a problem? Well, it might be because the fact is, you know, sometimes we make assumptions. We have a good child. Our child is taking care of me. You know, he or she is doing a wonderful job. Uh, I can trust my child, and I know my child will do the right thing. And, and sometimes that's true. But you know what? Sometimes it's not true. And the fact is, is that what you're doing is setting you up your family for a potential problem, a potential fight. Because if it's a large account, and sometimes I've seen them pretty big, and, you know, it's the kind of thing where even a, a child who's doing a nice job taking care of you could take the position, oh, mom wanted me to have this account to basically pay me for helping her out, taking care of her, making sure her bills are paid. Well, this is compensation for me. I mean, that sounds justifiable, doesn't it? <laughs> well, the fact is, you know, oftentimes taking care of a senior or a loved one can be a lot of work, and sometimes it's less work, but most of us love our parents, and we we want to make sure that they're taken care of, and we're not looking for compensation uh, for looking over things, making sure the bills are paid, or even being there for them and, and seeing about them, which can be a lot of work as well. But is compensation appropriate? Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. So what's the answer? It depends, because quite frankly, you may have set up the account as a smaller account, and you really do want your child to have the balance of the account upon your death. But my experience tells me more often than not, they're actually on the account for your convenience, not for them to take the account at your death. Uh, And so for all of those folks who think uh, that their child will do the right thing, it's a lot easier where you're not setting your family up to fight to appoint your child as your agent and have them sign the account as your agent. Then it's very, very clear that, yes, they can do all the things you want them to do to help you, but at your death, that agency is voided, and the property then goes through your estate or your trust to all of your children, uh, more often than not equally, but not always. You know, And sometimes people do give an extra share in their plan to the child who's help them the most, and that's okay, too. Uh, It really just depends on, okay, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? 
Um, but the reason that I bring this up is because more often than not, this is sort of the default position when you take your child into the bank and say, I want to add my child to this account. Uh, more often than not, it's, uh, oh, you don't have a power of attorney with you right now, so we have to set this up as a joint account with right of survivorship to, in order for the account to do what you want it to do. Um, now, obviously, what's the solution? Get the power of attorney before you go to the bank. <laughs> so, I mean, frankly, it's the kind of thing where if you've lost your spouse and you're alone and you need uh, the help of one of your children, um, you need some estate planning documents anyway. And having that power of attorney is one of those basic documents that every senior should have. So. Uh, frankly, it's um, it you're responsible, and and why would you want to set your family up to fight? Because for a lot of families, uh, an equal division uh, among your children is not a bad idea. Because the fact is, is that unless there's really good reason for it to be unequal. Uh, e equality among children tends to keep everybody happy, uh, where that no one resents someone else. But, you know, there are a lot of other circumstances, too, that might skew what I'm saying. I mean, for instance, uh, you have one child that's really doing everything and two or three children that may not live close by, or maybe they do live close by, but they're doing nothing. Um you know, it's the kind of thing where sometimes you do, in fact, uh, want to make sure that a child is taken care of because of what they've done for you. But the key there is to make sure that it's fair to the child who's doing the work, and it's fair to the other children, too. And what I mean by that is, okay, and of course, the other factor that you can have is, let's say a child, in order to take care of you and accomplish your goals, keep you at home, has actually given up their job and moved to where to your home to take care of you. Well, that's a pretty special kind of thing. But again, people do things uh, in a way that is not a great idea. For instance, it's like, okay, I'll move home with my, you, mom, but you've got to leave the house to me. Well, the fact is, no, you don't have to leave the house uh, to that child. However, because what's, what's the issue? The issue is, okay, if you live another 10 years, maybe it's fair if the child's doing a whole lot of work that the house actually goes to them. But what if you die next month? That would be totally unfair for the child to get the house when they've only taken care of you for a few months. Um, and so that's a big deal. Now, when I have that situation, what I recommend uh, is that you agree on how much you should actually um, um, give to the child each month for helping you. Uh, and, and then you can secure that debt because oftentimes you can't afford to pay them that much. So you secure that debt with the house with uh, what we call a revolving promissory note so that each month what you owe the child grows and is secured by the house. And if, they're long, if, they're, if they take care of you long enough, then the house might be theirs or 
uh, they can pay their siblings off very fairly easily, uh, depending on how long they take care of you. But at least that way, there's a care agreement in place, and the compensation is going to be based on how much that child actually does to help you, uh, rather than just uh, fly by the night. Yes, you can have the house if you, you know, do what I want you to do. So anyway. It depends. <laughs> a little bit of planning on the front end and thinking things out a little bit into the future really goes a long way in these situations. As Bill said, you don't want to be caught in with any sort of surprises or things left open to interpretation because, again, that's where things can get a little bit messy. If you would like to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, you can go to WGALaw.com. That's a great way to do it. Or you can call the office, 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000 to schedule a time to speak with Bill. You can also go to WGALaw.com if you're interested in learning more about Bill's free webinars. Bill has two webinars happening on Wednesday, April 13th covering the subjects of long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. They are free to attend, it's free to register, and you can enjoy the education from Bill from the comfort of your own home. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. We're taking a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back after this. Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about him by going to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we were having a discussion about joint accounts and beneficiary designations. And just before the end of the segment, you were kind of getting into the concept of care contracts. Well, what I was talking about is where you have a, a child uh, who is actually doing a lot of work on your behalf. Uh, sometimes they live with you, sometimes they don't, but they're doing more than just paying your bills. They're actually coming in and making sure you get dressed and fed and and uh, that you're uh, in a healthy situation, um, those kinds of things. and. The point I'm, uh, I wanted to make is when you have a situation where your children are actively helping you, it is really, really important for you to have something in writing that describes what it is that uh, the, your children are doing. Sometimes it's grandchild, but your family's doing, and uh what type of compensation or reimbursements that you are um, uh, uh, contemplating for them. We call it a care contract, but you say, well, why is it, why is it this important? We're family. We, you know, we don't need anything in writing. Well, the fact is you do need it in writing, and you need it for several things that a lot of folks don't realize. Number one 
is that let's let's say that you have a daughter that's helping you out and you have the ability to compensate them several thousand dollars a month. Well, number one, if it's in writing, then uh, it dispels the notion that they are doing it for free. Uh, because if you ever apply for Medicaid, anything that you pay your child is a sanctioned or penalized transfer, even if your child is taking care of you, because the assumption is they're doing it out of love and affection, and you're making gifts to them. Well, a gift is sanctionable. The same thing is true to a lesser degree, but it's just as important in VA-type planning, veterans benefit planning, where a care contract actually contributes to what's called IVAP, income for VA purposes. And in other words, how much you are you actually spending on medical care, which is a very important concept in VA pension planning, and which is a long-term care benefit that we talk about a good bit. But the point is that you don't want to be just transferring money to your child or grandchild without a, a something in writing to, to show what you're actually paying for. Uh, and that is, is really, really important. And it also helps in terms of the family because uh, the fact that you've, over a period of a few years, you've paid a child a, a good bit of money, it explains to everyone else uh, the agreement that was made between you and the child and why you paid them and those kind of things. Now, the other thing that's really important for folks to understand, because a lot of times folks like to have it not in writing because they don't want to report it on their taxes and things like that. Well, oftentimes this... Uh, can be looked at, uh, even in a care contract, as reimbursements as opposed to income. Now, obviously, if, if you're paying somebody to take care of you, that is income for uh, tax purposes. Oftentimes, there's lots of deductions, so there's very little income, net income that has to be reported, if any. But you always want to structure a care contract to where fir the first money is always for reimbursements because reimbursements for food, reimbursements for utility, reimbursements for transportation, uh, reimbursements for cable and internet and TV and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, drugs and other things uh, or any kind of needs that um, a child actually provides uh, for a parent. Reimbursements first and, you know, then you get into income after that. So, but the bottom line, anytime you have somebody taking care of you, and this is even true when you have non-family members taking care of you, if you have somebody you're paying, you, you really do need to have to pay with checks and cash, not cash, uh, get receipts if you're paying uh, in cash, uh, which some people require, but having a receipt uh, really goes a long way, um, uh, which makes a difference. And, of course, the other thing that a lot of folks don't realize that they need to think about when they have people caring for them. Now, they don't have to worry about it if it's a family member, but if it's a non-family member, whether you're paying cash, not cash, doesn't matter. Think 
you need workman's compensation insurance. I mean, it's not particularly expensive, but caregivers injure themselves, particularly they can injure their back, trying to lift you up, things like that. Very, very common, and workman's compensation insurance um, absolves you from a problem if that kind of thing should happen to you. So think, you know, one of the things I talk about with asset protection is how important is liability insurance. Workman's compensation is one of those liability insurance uh, products that people need when they hire people. Got to keep that in mind when you're making those decisions. And, you know, it's always important to, to get the advice of someone who is experienced in their field. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, you can go to WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website, WGALaw.com. Or you can also call the office, 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. If you want to learn more about Bill's free webinars, Go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button. Bill is doing his next set of webinars on Wednesday, April 13th. He does them the second Wednesday of every month. These cover the subjects of long-term care assistance. If you want to learn more about Medicaid, VA benefits, and other government assistance that may be available to you or a loved one dealing with a long-term care crisis, this is a wonderful free opportunity for you. Or if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, you can also attend that webinar as well. Go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. Remember, it's free to register and do so before April 13th so that you can enjoy either of those webinars. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be back after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about him by going to WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we've been having an interesting discussion so far today. We've talked a lot about joint accounts with rights of survivorship and uh, some considerations that we should make before opening those types of accounts. And uh, as as you've said throughout the show, your situation it depends. Right, and the next it depends might. Uh, all right, so let's say we're we're back at the bank and we've gone to our wonderful estate planning attorney and we have a power of attorney. So we set up our account with our child as our agent the way we should have. All right, now. Then, here's what's the next issue. The next issue is it's very common for the banker, and this also happens with many financial advisors, and, and this is a watch out, a caveat, which because the bottom line is, is that oftentimes bankers and financial advisors have a form, and they assume that this is in your best interest. And quite frankly, it might be, but it's probably not. And that is, 
a beneficiary designation. It's like sign here and avoid probate. Well, everybody's heard that probate is expensive and horrible and you want to avoid it. So oftentimes that sounds like a good idea. But there are lots of ways of avoiding probate. And the fact is, is that a beneficiary designation may not necessarily be in your best interest. And so um, because it can work different ways and the bankers don't ask enough questions to know if there's something else going on as to why you should not have a beneficiary designation. And so um, what I'm getting at is this. Now, if you're at a bank, a beneficiary designation is generally called a POD, a pay on death. With a financial advisor, it's called a TOD, transfer on death. But its bottom line is a beneficiary designation. And there are other assets that you have that always will have a beneficiary designation. The biggies would be life insurance, annuities, and retirement accounts. You always have beneficiaries for those. Now, if you have a complex plan, your beneficiaries for those accounts could easily be the trust agreement or the trustee that you've created, uh, and that makes a big difference. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, when, uh, and, and there are financial advisors that will say, oh, you should not leave um, your retirement account into a trust. And again, that's an it depends because quite frankly if your trust is set up to use retirement accounts as part of it and that can be very helpful and beneficial to families then yes you can leave it but if the trust is not set up properly to handle retirement accounts then in that event it can um, create a negative situation so again that's another it depends but the fact is, with beneficiary designations, are they actually doing it because it's in your best interest to set it up that way? No, they're doing it so they don't have to worry about who to pay the money to. It has nothing to do with probate for them. It has everything to do with this makes it simpler, less expensive, and, and less problematic for us as a bank or as us as a broker-dealer or financial advisor. Now, sometimes avoiding probate it is actually a good idea. You know, the, the fact is, is that many of us with a fairly simple estate plan where we've been married a long time and our children are our children, we don't have his, mine, ours, and theirs, and those kind of things, um, oftentimes first death is very, very easy for the surviving spouse because most families do have accounts for first marriage set up with joint with right of survivorship and beneficiary designation. So there's really very little to do, uh, and almost everything avoids probate for the first death. Second death is far more complicated, though. Sometimes it actually helps to have probate to make sure that your loved ones actually get what you want them to have. You know, the fact is, is um, and in North Carolina, probate is not expensive compared to many other states. There, 
there are states out there like Florida, New York, New Jersey, California, where the probate costs are exorbitantly expensive. And so everybody has a trust there to avoid probate because trusts are a good way to do it. But the fact is that in North Carolina, probate is not particularly expensive. Trusts do um, help in terms of speeding things up and making things easier for families. But oftentimes, simple works just fine. And probate uh, sometimes can be less expensive than a trust. And I've seen lots of trusts screwed up by not having any funding into the trust prior to death. Well, that's a mistake. Um, you know, with any kind of trust, it's really, really important for your property to be transferred to the trust before you die so it doesn't have to go through probate. A lot of attorneys don't explain how important it is that title makes a trust work. And so now, can you have a beneficiary designation into a trust which avoids probate? Yes. So, like I said, it depends. It can be a blessing to you. But one of the things I've learned over, over time is the fact that more often than not, a good will or a well-drafted trust will have far better contingency planning for your family, for your children and grandchildren, than any kind of beneficiary designation. So if you have any kind of plan where you've really thought about how you want your property to be distributed to your spouse, to your children, and to your grandchildren, um, if you use a beneficiary designation, it may be that you want to use it to go to your trust. Now, typically for a first marriage type spousal situation, beneficiary designations work fine if your goal is I want to leave everything to my spouse. But if you have a more complicated goal, then it might be different. When we do Medicaid planning, oftentimes a beneficiary designation would screw up a good plan. So that's the other side of it depends. So VA planning, Medicaid planning, asset protection planning, oftentimes a beneficiary designation, if it's not done right, will ruin that plan. So this, again, makes it so important for lawyers and financial advisors and bankers who do this type of planning to be coordinated. And more often than not, at least in my experience, it's not coordinated. So oftentimes the advice of one can counteract the advice of the other. Avoid falling into a trap like that. Find an elder law attorney. Schedule an appointment to speak with Bill by going to WGA Law. WGALaw.com is also where you can go if you want to register for Bill's free webinars, if you want to learn more about long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. This is a wonderful way to do it. WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button at the top of the page or you can call the office 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to learn more from Bill, whether it's through his webinars or if you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, maybe you've got a set of documents that you would like to have reviewed. Make sure that they're in order and working the way that you want them to. Go to WGA Law. Schedule an appointment to speak with Bill or register for his free seminars. WGALaw.com is the website or call the office 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. We're out of time for today, but we hope you will join us again next weekend. Thanks so much for listening. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day.